morning, Edgewater. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33, and John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen above. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the word of God. Good morning, Edgewater. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lisa, and I'm usually attending the 1030 service over in Hackensack, but it's always great to um, see you guys. Um, I know last week my husband um, gave the sermon on marriage as well, so um, today I'm continuing that. But um, I can't believe it's March already. Today's March 4th. And just as a friendly public service announcement to remind you, you know, next week is daylight savings time. So mark your calendar because we actually, it's spring forward, so we lose an hour. So, um, just make sure, making sure you guys know. And also, what does March mean for many people here? It means March Madness. Woo! I'm sure some of you, many of you are excited, right? March Madness, the NCAA basketball tournament? Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm really excited this year because um, UVA, where I'm from, I went to University of Virginia, we might get a number one seed this year, so I'm very excited. And more excited because Boston College, where my husband went to school, is most likely a bubble team and may not make it. So sorry, honey. But anyway, so um, March is an awesome time for us. But um, like I said before, the three pastors all talked about different seasons of intimacy. Pastor Key started off with singleness. Um, Pastor John talked about dating, period. And um, one J, my husband, last week talked about marriage. And I'll be continuing in the series by talking a little bit further about marriage. So let's pray as we look um, into the word, okay? Thank you, Lord. We are just... Um, 
We just want to join what your Holy Spirit is doing today. We just want to partner with you. We just pray that your word would be active and alive and that you would be teaching us um, and showing us more of yourself. Thank you so much, Lord. We look to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As um, my husband mentioned last week, um, for many of you, if you haven't heard the sermon, please, I encourage you to go online um, and listen to the podcast um, because I'm doing a little bit of a continuation. But um, as he reminded us last week in the Genesis 2, we find the first story of the first marriage. And it takes place before the fall, before Satan enters the picture we see God creating animals, creating trees and water, and looking at everything and saying, that is really good. He really likes what he created. He creates Adam, and for the first time, even though everything is perfect and beautiful, he says for the first time, that is not good. Why does he say that? Because Adam is alone. And so we see that Eve was created, because Adam was alone, God saw it wasn't good to be alone, and then the rest is history, right? Um, and so we see that marriage has a purpose, but yet when we get to the New Testament, we see people like Jesus or Apostle Paul, they never got married, and yet it was perfectly fine. And so what about Adam, even in his perfect state, wasn't good, and yet it was okay for Jesus and for someone like Apostle Paul. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, anyone who's married should have read his book. I highly recommend his book, The Meaning of Marriage. But in that book, he says, what is the purpose of marriage? The, Bible answer, the Bible's answer to this question starts with the principle that marriage is a friendship. God is acknowledging that the vertical relationship that Adam had with God somehow, somehow, even though it was perfect, did not fully fulfill him. And he's acknowledging Adam's need for this horizontal relationship. And don't we see that in the New Testament with Jesus and Paul? We see them not getting married, but we see them being relationally very rich. They were always surrounded by people and friends, right? So they were able, to, for example, Jesus, he always had his, you know, 12 disciples, but he also had those three inner circle, um, Peter, James, and John, who are his close friends. We also see Peter, he's going on, he went on three missionary journeys. He's always taking someone with him. In his letters, he's asking for people to come to him to encourage him while he's sitting <laughs> While he's sitting in jail or being stoned or doing all these things, he's usually with someone, right? And so we see in his letters, um, Timothy or Barnabas or Titus, they're all mentioned as his close friends, right? So I don't think it's a coincidence that even secular marriage counselors talk about this idea. They say that the single most surefire way to strengthen any marriage is actually to strengthen your friendship. Um, there's, there's a man, Dr. John Gottman, he's referred to as the foremost <laughs> relational expert here in the United States. 
He conducts experiments on couples um, in all stages of marriage, like newlyweds to you know people who've been married for a long time. He has couples actually come to his lab. He calls it the love lab. <laughs> and it's set up just like a regular house, except there's like cameras everywhere, except for the bathroom and personal spaces, of course. Um, and then um, he just asks the couple to normally just interact with each other, but he videotapes them overnight. And then the next day he interviews them what went on. So he's been doing this for over 16 years. And the crazy thing <laughs> is that after he's done this experiment for thousands and thousands of couples, he says that he can predict with 91% accuracy, that's a crazy high number, after talking with a couple for just 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 91% accuracy, if they are going to get divorced within seven years. Isn't that crazy? 15 minutes talking to a couple. So he says, as he writes this book, all of that, you know, findings from this um, experiments that he does, he writes in his book, the several seven principles of making marriage work. I highly recommend that book also for married couples. But he says in the book, I now know that the key to reviving or divorce-proofing a relationship is not simply how you handle your disagreements, but how you engage with each other when you're not fighting. The simple truth is that happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this I mean a mutual respect for each other, the enjoyment of each other's company. The couple tends to know each other intimately. They are well-versed in each other's likes and dislikes, personality quirks and hopes and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness, not just in big ways, but through small gestures day in and day out. The strength of the couple's friendship foretells the relationship's future. Now, one thing I want to add here, a caveat, um, is that I want us to get into the mindset, not as the world calls friendship, because most single people <laughs> know they don't ever want to be friend-zoned, right? You might have a crush on someone for like two, three years, and then you find out, well, they just friend-zoned me. They, they can't put me in the category of potential marriage partner because they only consider me as their friend, right? Um, but sometimes we think of friendship as some kind of lesser version of, you know, dating someone. Um, we never want to hear that dreaded, let's just be friends speech, right? And so in our mind, we equate that with friendship, right? And so... Um, some people, when they, s when they hear the word friend, they just basically hear someone saying to you, I'm just not that into you, right? And so that's their definition of friends. I'm not talking about that kind of friendship. I'm talking about biblical friendship. So let's see what that means, okay? So notice how in the passage Kimberly just read for us so well, um, in Ephesians 5.28, it reads, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Doesn't this sound exactly like the Matthew 22 verse where Jesus is saying, what is the greatest commandment? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. This seems obvious, but sometimes we forget. Our spouse is our first neighbor, right? God calls us to love our spouse just as we love our own bodies. We see a picture of this, in, uh, of Jesus in John 15, 13, that, he read, that we read earlier as well. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus was the ultimate example of love by dying for his friends, right? And how we love can be seen in many, many ways. And that in itself can just be its own sermon. But um, I want to focus on one in terms of loving your neighbor as yourself, which is how we talk to each other. Like I said, there's many, many things we can focus on in loving your neighbor as yourself. But just for this one section, I want to talk about how we speak to each other. How do we express loving your neighbor as yourself by how we communicate and talk to each other? Now, this means then that there is no contest when you're talking to your spouse of who wins, quote unquote, the argument. Ask yourself, how do I usually speak to my best friend? Then compare that to how you speak to your spouse. Now consider how do I want others to talk to me? And that is the standard that God calls couples to do. John Gottman, in the book I mentioned earlier, um, he actually describes four behaviors called the four deadly horsemen. And these are huge indicators that if this exists when you're talking to your spouse in marriage, your marriage is on a pretty bad trajectory. I wanted to share them with you so we can just be aware and try to veer away from that. So the first horseman that he talks about is criticism. When you're talking to your spouse is criticism first and foremost. For example, Criticism is different from complaining. Complaining is just saying something like, there's no gas in the car, I'm so upset that you promised to do it and you didn't do it, can you please do it tomorrow? That's, that's a complaint. That's okay because you're allowed to be upset, you're allowed to have discussions. But criticism is actually something where you're focused on your spouse's character or personality. Criticism comes out, for example, in something like this. Why can't you remember anything? I told you a thousand times to fill up the gas tank, and you didn't. What's wrong with you? Don't you even care? That is the difference between complaining and criticism. When criticism comes into your conversations, that begins to erode your relationship. Now, the second thing, the second horseman he talks about is contempt. This is when you have a sense of superiority over your partner. You're using sarcasm and cynicism, behaviors like name-calling, eye-rolling, or hostile uh, humor, when the goal is not to resolve the issue, but rather to demean your spouse. 
this is an overflow of really long, long simmering negative thoughts about yourself. Now, it's kind of dark in here, so I can't see your response. I don't know if couples are going, hmm, hey, you do that a lot, or, you know, kind of elbowing each other, because it's dark. You guys know out there. But um, this is not a time where you want to criticize your spouse. This is a time when you look inward. Do I do this, right? <laughs> Am I exhibiting this behavior? So um, just to give that warning, right? Um, the third one is defensiveness. Sometimes, every time a discussion comes up, hey, honey, didn't you promise to take out the trash? Didn't, you, um, didn't I set up this appointment for you to watch the kids so I can go out with some girlfriends? Why did you plan something? Why are you late? Those kind of things. Um, defensiveness. Oh, you know I have to work extra. What's your problem? I'm, my paycheck is paying for everything here defensiveness. Sometimes defensiveness comes out in the obvious defensiveness, but it also can come out in playing the innocent whiny victim, like, why are you always picking on me? Um, defensiveness can be used as a way to blame your partner, saying, the problem isn't me, it's you, <laughs> right? And always making excuses for your behavior. So that's the third deadly horseman. And fourth is stonewalling. Some of you guys might be from, and like, um, this is not consecutive where it starts off with criticism and ends up with stonewalling. It could be in any order. But stonewalling is where one partner shuts down or tunes out or disengages instead of confronting. Why? Because there's just so much negativity <laughs> that it just becomes overwhelming, so they just whoo, power down and shut off, right? And so when those four things are existing when you are talking to your spouse, your marriage is headed in a downward trajectory. However, the interesting thing that John Gottman points out is that even when these four, four behaviors are present, it doesn't necessarily mean the marriage is over. He acknowledges that arguments happen even in a healthy marriage. We have to communicate, we have to talk. Arguments happen. However, there is a secret weapon <laughs> that prevents arguments from getting too escalated, from getting out of hand, and he calls that something called repair attempts. And sometimes it could be a statement or action that's like silly or, or not. Um, for example, a, a couple could be arguing about something and then one couple just turns to the other and just sticks out their tongue or has a really silly grin and you know rolls their eyes. Um, and that actually de-escalates the argument. And he says, um, when a couple has a strong friendship, they naturally become experts at repair attempts and correctly are able to read these nonverbal cues that couples give each other. And so when there is a strong friendship, these repair attempts are more effective. When the friendship, underlying friendship is not there, the repair attempts are ignored or they're not even um, acknowledged. Like it just passes right over their head and they just, oh my gosh, right? And so something about friendship gives you a strong foundation to even have good repair attempts. And that is the secret to marriage, John Gottman says. So true biblical friendship 
is loving the other as you love your spouse, you love yourself, especially in the way you talk to them. It's so big. The Bible says the words or your tongue has a power of life and death. It's very important. The second thing I want to talk about is that marriage or biblical marriage is biblical friendship. For example, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Proverbs 27, 6 says, a faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then later on in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. Biblical marriage and biblical friendship is helping your spouse or your friend become more holy. That means speaking truth and love to each other, encouraging them in their walk with the Lord, and actively giving them space to grow and be ministered unto. Do you notice when your spouse is not doing well spiritually? You or your kids are usually the first to know because why? Um, because usually your spouse has a short temper. Usually your spouse is not being kind or they're acting really selfish. Essentially, they are not exhibiting the fruit of the spirit. If you want to be a better spouse or you want to be a better friend, then become a better Christian. Then you can be more loving and kind and joyful and peaceful because Jesus is the source of those things. The Bible says it's the fruit of the spirit. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, resides in you, this is the fruit that comes out. And so it is our job, our spouse's job to encourage that because marriage is a picture of Jesus's relationship with the church. It's tough. This is really tough because a lot of times people think, ah, oh, that conversation is so uncomfortable. It means maybe um, going out of your comfort zone, maybe cooking dinner or washing the dishes so that your spouse has extra time to maybe go to a Bible study or do their own quiet time or maybe meet up with an accountability partner. I want us to realize that loving your spouse is not just leaving them to figure it out for themselves. Rather, just as the prayer request we posted up this year, um, the second one is learning to fight for each other. That's what biblical friendship is. Fighting for your spouses or your friends and or friends spiritual life fight for them you know we announced just now david announced the women's retreat and it's such a special time i want you guys spouses to consider make time to talk about your schedule encourage your spouse to go talk about child care if you have kids so that your spouse can go encourage them um, because you know 
that it'll help them in their walk with the Lord, but also help them build community. It's very important. And so don't just be like, okay, I'm going to block off this weekend. I'm going to get help with the kids. I'm going to make time to make sure you can go. And then just that's it. Think to yourself, how am I investing in my spouse's spiritual life? So if you guys determine as a couple, okay, um, wife, go to this retreat, because later on in June, the men are going to have their retreat, so wife, please return the favor, but um, pray for them. As you are signing up from now until end of April when the retreat is, pray for them, that the retreat will be good for them, that they'll encounter the Holy Spirit there, invest in your spouse's spiritual life. That is biblical friendship. For me and Wenjie, you know, th this was a hard thing, especially when we had young kids. Um, Wenjie was a youth pastor at the time. We had four kids in five years. And so literally, I did not even go to a Sunday worship service because I was always in the nursery with the kids for about six years. That's crazy. I didn't go to a worship service for six years. The only service that was available was watching on the screens, maybe um, the Korean service. My Korean is not that great. I maybe understood about 60% of the service. Watching it on the screen while kids all around me are screaming and obviously not the best way to listen to a sermon. So I would try to um, listen online, but it's two sermons, different churches' sermons, but you know that's it's not the same. And so one time... After six years of not attending a worship service, an opportunity came up for um, 1J to go to a youth pastor's retreat. And I so appreciate because I remember this vividly. He said to me, honey, we're going to go to this. I was like, what? <laughs> um, we're going to go to this youth pastor's retreat, and we're going to bring the kids. And I was like... That's so dumb because I'm just going to be watching the kids on the side and no other kids are going. And he said, this was the kicker. He said, we're going to bring our own personal babysitter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I so appreciate that because I remember, um, you know, the babysitter was watching the kids just during the session. And I was, um, and then the, when it wasn't the session, I could be with the kids, help with the kids, stuff like that. Mealtime and, and at night I could help. But um, sitting in that first worship service after six years, I remember just crying the whole time. The first time I was in corporate praise together, I just cried the whole set. One day was like, my wife is so weird. What is going on with you, right? But he didn't understand. Six years of not going to service, I just felt so dry. Um, and I just so appreciate he saw that and he really trying to help um, by going on this retreat together. Later after that, you know, um, when we were at Hope um, English Ministry, um, they were looking for more Bible study leaders, and so I decided to volunteer for that. And we literally lived walking distance from the church. The Bible study is about an hour and a half, but I would just milk that because <laughs> I just wanted to be around adults. And so I would set up meetings before and after the Bible study with, with people. And so that one and a half hour turned into like four or five hours of being out of the house. But 
it was okay because Wonji really tried to respect that space for me. He knew that I needed that time to just do Bible study and pray with other people. And so he really tried to invest. Later on, as the kids got older, he even, I was even able to go to overnight conferences. That was the first time I got on, like I was away, two, three nights away from the kids. I was like, am I dreaming? I can order my own food and no one will bother me when I'm in the shower or in the bathroom. This is heaven. <laughs> and I was just so happy. But Wanji really um, was investing in my spiritual um, just <laughs> uh, life. And I just appreciated that. And that is what spouses are to do. We are to present each other holy, just as Christ loved the church. Spouses, be a good Christian friend. Invest and fight for your spouse's spiritual life. It's so important. And lastly, I want to talk about um, the John 15, 5 passage, where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. James 22.3 interprets the story of the father Abraham by saying, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And then in Exodus 33.11 the Bible describes God's relationship with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Is it interesting that the Bible elevates friendship as one of the most intimate relationships we can have with God? Biblical friendship equates intimacy. It's like Moses and Abraham were like this extra level of intimate with God, and the Bible describes that as friends with God. In fact, marriage is supposed to be an earthly representation of that relationship God has with us. Why? Because, think about it, friends spend time with each other. They want to spend time with each other. They make specific plans to meet up and use that time to talk. There's no other relationship that has that amount of time dedicated just to communicate. Think about it. You don't think it's weird when you make it a co coffee date with a friend and you just spend the whole time talking? That's like normal. But when you try to do that with your spouse, all of a sudden it becomes a date, right? And so meeting up with friends implies talking and communicating. It's a given. You enjoy each other's company and it's not an obligation. That's why God wants our friendship. He wants a relationship with us that's intimate. He wants to communicate with us and he wants to spend time with us. Isn't it even more interesting that the two people, Abraham and Moses, were the two people in the Bible who quote unquote bargained with God. Abraham, when God 
came to him and said, you know, your nephew Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm going to destroy that whole place because it's so evil. And Moses, in the situation where the Israelites make a golden calf, God says to Moses, I'm just going to kill them all and start over with you, right? Two, those two instances where these men are considered God's friend, they bargain with God, and they essentially, I say this in quotes, <laughs> change his mind. We all know the Bible verse that says, God is not a man that he should lie or that he should change his mind. And so we're not talking about, you know, theologically, he changed his mind. Ah, this is, you know, paradigm shift. We're not talking about that. Um, we're talking about how God was in such an intimate relationship with Abraham and Moses that he talked with them, discussed with them before he did something. He got their advice. He allowed them to give input. And essentially, Moses and Abraham swayed him to not destroy the people, right? And isn't that what friendship is about? Spending so much time together that you have influence over them. And I want to end with this, a quote by Oswald Chambers. He writes in his book, his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. I'm sure you, all, most of you are familiar with it. Um, he's referring to the Genesis 18 story, uh, Genesis 18, the story of Abraham. He says, he writes, Genesis 18 brings out the delight of true friendship with God as compared to simply feeling his presence occasionally in prayer. This friendship means being so intimately in touch with God that you never even need to ask him to show you his will. It is evidence of a level of intimacy which confirms that you are nearing the final stage of discipline in the life of faith. When you have a right standing relationship with God, you have a relationship of freedom, liberty, and delight. You are God's will, and all your common sense decisions are actually his will for you. And that's how Oswald Chamber describes Biblical friendship, it's that ultimate culmination of friendship with God, being so intimate that you automatically know his will because you're spending so much time with him. Isn't that true with our spouse? It's so funny because many times, I always make fun of 1J because he loves to go to CVS. That's like his favorite store. But <laughs> every time he goes, I'm like, ah, oh, why do you always have to go to CVS? Every time he goes, what does he bring back for me? So sweet. <laughs> he brings back for me, I never ask him to bring anything, but he brings back for me my green tea, Arizona iced tea, and gummy bears. <laughs> I never ask him for it, but he brings it back. Why? Because he knows I like it. He doesn't text me and go, honey, what drink do you want? What snack do you want? He knows. We spent enough time together that he knows. See, most people think I really like Coca-Cola, which I do, but my go-to drink is green tea, Arizona iced tea, right? And so he knows that. He doesn't bring me back a Coke. He brings me back a green tea, right? And so that's the same way with God. When we spend intimate time with him, focusing on this friendship, we just know. We don't ask ourselves, is this God's will? Should I do this? No, we know because we spend so much time with him. 
and we know his character, we know what he would do. That is biblical friendship. And that is what will help our marriages and strengthen our marriage. Love your spouse as you love yourself. Be that best friend to your spouse. It's just as the saying goes, marry your best friend. Work on your friendship with your spouse. Spend time not fighting each other, but fighting for your marriage. Let's pray together. If we could spend this time just taking a moment, pray. If you're married, pray for your marriage. Pray that your friendship would be increased and deepened. If you're not married, I advise you, work on your friendships with both genders. This is a great way God is showing you how to love each other. So let's pray together. Ask God to show you what are some, who are some people I can pray about if you um, want to pray about friendships. But mostly let's pray about our friendship with God. God, deepen our friendship with you that we can walk in greater intimacy. Let's pray.